Hello, this is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hi, Georgie. I'm your number one fan. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Here's Johnny. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Constant Reader Podcast with me, your host, Richard Shepard. We've got a very special episode for you today. It's going to be an interview with Richard Chismar, who is a co-author of Wendy's Buttonbox with Stephen King, the solo writer on Gwendy's Magic Feather, and the co-writer, again with Stephen King, on the forthcoming third novel in the Gwendy trilogy, which we published early next year. He's a great guest. We had a great time talking and you're going to hear that soon. But firstly, a few bits of business to take care of. Firstly, thank you so much for the reaction to my last episode, an interview with Helena Bacon about revival. It's one of my favourite books. And I'm glad to hear that it's one of your favourites too. So thank you very much for that. I've had a bit of an uptick in listenership last month. So feel free to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star review. That would be much appreciated. Tell a few friends who like Stephen King about the podcast. Just rate and review and give it five stars wherever you can. That would be much appreciated. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can write to us at theconstantreaderpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, this interview is going out on March the 1st, which means tomorrow, March the 2nd, will be the release date for later, the new novel from Stephen King, the third in his collaborations with Hard Case Crime after The Colorado Kid and Joyland, both favourites of mine. And this one sounds equally good. Later is about the son of a struggling single mother, Jamie Conklin, who just wants an ordinary childhood. But Jamie is no ordinary child. Born with an unnatural ability, his mum urges him to keep secret. Jamie can see what no one else can see and learn what no one else can learn. But the cost of using this ability is higher than Jamie can imagine, as he discovers when an NYPD detective draws him into the pursuit of a killer who has threatened to strike from beyond the grave. Later, is Stephen King at his finest, a terrifying and touching story of innocence lost and a trials that test our sense of right and wrong. With echoes of King's classic novel It, Later is a powerful, haunting, unforgettable explosion of what it takes to stand up to evil in all the faces it wears. Sounds great. Sounds more like the dead zone than it to me, but uh, I'm waiting to see what it's like. I'm sure I can let you know about that next month. So uh, what else is going on? Oh, yes, there's been news of a Firestarter reboot with uh, Keith Thomas directing, who directed The Vigil, a film I enjoyed very much. So far, it's cast Zac Efron as uh, Charlie McGee's dad. So that's going to be an interesting bit of casting. He's a an actor not afraid to take chances, as his recent performance as Ted Bundy will no doubt tell us. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Firestarter again. I mean, it has, it's been a while since anybody's tried to tackle Firestarter. We had um, the original film, of course, and then I think there was a sequel, which wasn't particularly good. But uh, it's a great story, and it's about time somebody did it right, so I'm looking forward to that. And speaking of great stories that should be done right, Edgar Wright is doing The Running Man, so not many details about this so far, but just the thought of Edgar Wright going back to the original source material and doing a, a dark and dirty running man, just like the novella should be something that gets everybody excited. I'm a huge fan of the original adaptation of The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it is not an adaptation of the novel. It's um, something very different, a lot more fun, a lot more colourful, and a lot more game showy, as I'm sure anybody who's read the book and seen the film will know. Well, there's a trailer for Lisey's Story, the upcoming adaptation of Stephen King's novel Lisey's Story on Apple TV Plus, uh, starring Juliana Moore. Looks good. It's not one of my favourite novels, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. 
And uh, yeah, it should be well worth it. Julianna Moore's always good, although she wasn't the dreadful Carrie remake, which we don't really talk about. But uh, yeah, no, that's, that's going to be a good one. J.J. Abrams is involved, and uh, he's, he's uh, involved in Castle Rock, which I liked a great deal. So it, uh, he knows it's Stephen King, certainly. So yeah, Stephen King himself got vaccinated against the coronavirus. So uh, hopefully there's many years and many more books to come. So good luck with that. Plus, next month is another writer that I'm a huge fan of. It's Paul Tremblay, who'll be talking about The Dead Zone. So that's going to be a really good one. And without any further ado, I'm going to start our conversation with Richard Chismar, the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Amazon, and Publishers Weekly best-selling author. He's a friend of Stephen King's, which is fascinating. He gives us a bit of an insight into what the man himself is like. And he's got a new book called Chasing the Boogeyman, which is coming out very soon. Sounds absolutely fascinating. And of course, if you subscribe to Cemetery Dance, and if you don't, why don't you? You'll be familiar with his work as an editor there. Don't forget to review the podcast. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you have it in your heart. And get ready for Richard Chismar. Speaking of luxuriating, how have you found the the lockdown? I mean, has, has it been a good time creatively for you? Have you had time to kind of do all those yeah, things you, know, you want to it, do? It's interesting. People tease me because they're like, uh, you know, this hasn't really changed my life that much. <laughs> I uh, I don't, you know, I don't get around too much. I'm always at home, and uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it uh, it's interesting that first first nine or ten months, other than just you know the really sad goings on in the world it wasn't much different for myself personally i you know i was able to get a lot done creatively and then as the winter wore on it seemed to kind of seep in and drag down a little bit more but uh yeah i mean i've i've finished uh two novels and done some script work so yeah it's been it's been a pretty productive time and you're still doing you're still doing good work with cemetery dance i hope still plugging along with cd yeah i'm a Um, subscriber so i'm looking forward to the next one Good, yeah, should be out any time actually. Good just stuff. Wrote the editorial for that. Um, yeah, we're still moving, um, still doing our thing. It's just a little harder. We have to pack in a skeleton crew because we can't have our usual bunch back there together. That kind of thing. So it's definitely made life more interesting. Have you been tempted to write a um, a quarantine lockdown short story or novel yet? Not yet, not yet. I I, I imagine something's coming eventually, but whether it's you know, to be published or just to get it out of me. Uh, I think everybody's yeah. going to have one, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I think so, whether they want to admit it or not. <laughs> have you seen Host yet? The kind of the Zoom horror yet. film. What yeah. is, I liked it a lot. It's very effective for a, such a, a small I film. Did. It was legit scary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That got me. The bit at the end. With, oh, I'm yeah. not going to spoil it for anybody, but uh, check it out. Absolutely. So um, to your books, you've written... One book in a collaboration with Stephen King, Gwendy's Button Box, and a sequel, uh, Gwendy's Magic Feather. I suppose the question I have to ask you, the question that everybody out there is kind of curious about is how did that come about? Because for a writer in this genre to collaborate with Stephen King, it must be like, I don't know, a blessing from the Pope or something. I mean, that, that's got to be pretty crazy. Absolutely. Right? And especially for someone like me who grew up, you know, it, it, I can... I can pinpoint, you know, two uh, moments that made me want to become a writer. And, and one one happened in the first one was in high school when I was uh, a sophomore. 
-hmm. And my English teacher, Richard Gallagher, he brought in uh, photocopies of a story and he passed them out. And uh, we read it aloud. We took turns reading it aloud in class. And it was The Monkey by Stephen King. Yes. And uh, just uh, completely captivated me. Um, by the time I was finished the story, I, I just, I mean, and I had always written, I'd written short stories as a child, you know, war, war stories and, and, uh, Westerns and monster stories. Um, and I enjoyed writing, but I never really looked at it as something as a possible career. And when we were finished with the monkey, I just knew I, I was like this, you know, I, I, I want to start write, you know, start writing stories like this that can, that can take people away. And, and transport them to another place and time. And then the second one was when I read it um, in college. True. When it came out in hardcover for the first time. And by the time I finished that book, uh, I, yeah, I was absolutely, you know, I was at that stage in my life where what comes next was, was a big deal and, and was looming right over the horizon. So I knew I, I, whether I was an editor or a writer or a publisher or whatever it was going to be, I just knew I wanted to be you know, involved in, in the genre and, uh, and the publish and the literature world. So, yeah. So to, to go full circle and eventually write with Stephen King was beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I can imagine. Absolutely. Uh, so I know these things are kind of very much a collaborative effort, but who, who came up with Gwendy? Who came up with the button box? Cause it's such a, that was Steve. I mean, and, and the way it happened idea. was, yeah, we were just, uh, you know, over the years, um, I mean, I, you know, Cemetery Ants started back in 1988 and I sent stuff up to Steve's office in Maine in 1988. <laughs> and, um, yeah, over the years, we, you know, a business relationship turned into a friendship and we, uh, we email and text quite often. And on, on this given day back, I guess it was in 2017, maybe 2016, um, we were emailing and we were just talking about collaborations and round robin novels and, in the course of the conversation, he mentioned that he had a story, Gwendy's Button Box, that he had been unable to finish, and it was just sitting there. And um, I didn't ask. Excuse me. I, uh, you know, the, like I said, it was a text conversation, and, and I, I revisited it a few times. Uh, but at some point, he said, uh, you know, if you'd like to read it, I'll send it to you. I said, of course. Yes, please. And, uh, the, uh, the first, like, uh, 20, 25, 30 pages showed up the next day, and the note attached to it simply said, do, do with it as you wish. <laughs> and I, and I wrote him back and I said, do you mean take a crack at finishing it? <laughs> and he said, if, if, if you'd like to, you know, so that's how it happened. You know, it was very, uh, uh, an accidental miracle, you know? And, uh, so I, I picked up where he left off and, and, and wrote a big chunk and sent it back to him. And then he wrote some more, sent it back to me. Um, I originally wrote the ending and it was a little too dark, um, mm -hmm. and I knew it was, you know, and I actually said in my email to, to Steve, I said, I, I think maybe Gwendy deserves better than this. Um, and she he doesn't agreed. press the black button, does she? Yeah, pretty much kind of, <laughs> sort of, but not, <laughs> we, you don't really know, but it, it, it's a, it was a, it was just a very dark ending. And, um, so he took a whack at it and then I tweaked his a little bit and, uh, and that's, that's, you know, the whole thing took us about a month and, and it was finished and, um. So you and Gwendy, you, you kind of clicked immediately, kind of once you'd read these 30 or so pages. You kind yeah, of, you had a yeah I immediately things. fell in love with the character and just knew she was she was special. And and um, and for whatever reason, I, I knew what happened next. And that was the neat thing. I mean, I was uh, 
you know, I, I talk about this fairly often, but it was, you know, having the opportunity to do that was, was almost, uh, it, it was like a roller coaster. It was one sure. moment was elation. The next moment was <laughs> pure terror and then back to elation. Um, but fortunately, once I got into the writing of button box, uh, you know, all, all those nerves went away and I was just in Castle Rock. I was with Wendy and I was just, you know, it was just kind of my, my gig was to tell her story. Was it tempting to kind of emulate King's style when you were writing it? Because I know um, I read a bit about the um, the writing of the Talisman uh-huh. with Peter Straub, where often the two writers would try and emulate each other's style to kind of muddy the waters a bit and make it more of a kind of an no, interesting it, collaboration. But that is interesting because Peter, Peter and Steve, they're, that's two very distinct styles there. Oh yes. Yeah. So yeah, so I could see them having fun like that. Um, you know what? I didn't. I, I think I, I recognized ahead of time that if I did that, I would probably fall flat on my face. You know, um, I, uh, several reviewers have said that we have similar styles in that we, you know, really focus on the characters and the kind of, you know, the, the minute details that, that make them real and, uh, mm. some, some similarity in dialogue, that kind of thing, um, which is great praise. But so, yeah, I just kind of did my thing and, and, you know, we did tweak each other's sections a bit. So, um, I think that helped that kind of blending process. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, there there wasn't you know there was we never gave voice to the idea of doing that or uh, you know I can't say I gave any conscious thought you know um, we had we did have some fun where I, I know there was a character I put a Red Sox hat on him and when the draft came back to me you know <laughs> either changed it it was an Oriole a Baltimore Orioles hat now because you know I I live in Maryland and, <laughs> and we're both baseball fans so there was some fun like that but. Um, yeah, you know, it was just it was just a very natural, organic process, which is crazy. Um, and and I know for months after the book was finished, I, I you know, kind of just, you know, uh, admitted loud and clear, I have no idea how I did that because it, it was an overwhelming <laughs> thing. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun, and and as you said, a, a blessing. Um, something that was, you know, never even dreamed of. And I, I, I'm a big dreamer. So. <laughs> um, whose idea was it to set the book in um, Castle Rock? That was all it's obviously a very possessive thing for King. That's him. That, that was him. Yeah. That was and all. Was that, I mean, that was kind of, that was kind of the, the cherry on top is that, you know, he sends this, it says, do with it as you wish. And then I'm so excited. And I, I start to read it. And right there in the first sentence, I believe it says, <laughs> Or maybe it was the second sentence. It says Castle Rock. And I just remember reading and stopping and going, oh, my goodness. Oh. Uh, you know, not, only, <laughs> not only, you know, it, it could have been said anywhere, but it was set in Castle Rock, which is sacred ground for, <laughs> for all of us. So, yeah, it was it was his idea. And, uh, and I just kind of ran with it. I think it's definitely more present in Magic Feather because you talk about the history of Castle Rock quite kind of it, it's, it's done quite obliquely. It's not done like particularly in a heavy way, but I just like the, the little references to like the great fire and things like that. And Frank Dodds, and it gives her that lovely kind of grounding in some way, you know, but because right. magic feather is such a different book, it's so different. You know, the characters themselves are so different, but the location is very familiar. And I think that really works for it. Yeah. I I'm glad you, you think so. Cause uh, that was, you know, that was certainly intentional. I mean, to me, that was those, that's one of the, one of the, you know, many things that makes a Stephen King book special is, mm. uh, you know, there's always those bits and pieces that come back. And there's also those, there's always those subtle uh, mentions 
of, like you said, a Frank Dodd or, you know, even the, uh, uh, the, um, the bandstand in, in the, yes. uh, in the, in the center of the park, you know, there where uh, we know bad things happen there in uh, dead zone. Um, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I wanted so, to yeah. talk about the dead zone because magic feather, there's quite a few references to it kind of both obliquely and somewhat covertly as well. I think, is that one of your favorite King novels? It is. I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but that uh, of his early stuff, you know, it's hard for me to pinpoint a favorite, but that, that, that book broke my heart. That book has so much good stuff and it's got suspense and thrills and, and some scares and, you know, the whole, uh, Castle Rock Strangler thread is to me is just terrifying. And, you know, the way that it goes down and the way he's captured, um, and his mother and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, but it also is, is a love story and it's this, just this bittersweet story that kills me every time I revisit it. So, yeah, I just, you know, I kind of, like I said, that was intentional. I wanted to make sure that I feathered in some of the town's history. Um, and the interesting thing with, with magic feather is the way that happened is, you know, this time it it was my idea not to write a sequel because I I never would have been presumptuous enough to think that, you know, Steve wanted to do it again or would allow me, you know, uh, I just, I had an idea of what Gwendy was doing and I mentioned it to him one day and he came back and he just said, you know, this is a great idea. I'm going to be busy for the foreseeable future with, uh, Holly Gibney. He was writing, you know, one of those and, um, just, but he said, you should write it. And I took that as you should write the first draft and I'll come back in and, 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 you know, <laughs> piggyback when I'm finished my book and it'll be another collaboration. So mm. the interesting thing is, and, and I've mentioned this a few times is if I had known from the start that, that magic feather was going to be me solo, I would not have been so bold as to, to do all what I did with castle rock because Steve destroyed castle rock at the end of needful things. So who the hell am I to bring it back <laughs> um, to the extent that I brought it back and talk, talk about a statue dedicated to the, you know, the, the reconstruction of the town and, and bring back uh, Norris Ridgewick and all that. I would never would have done that if yeah. I didn't think Steve's, you know, own um, handprints were going to be all over the story. Um, but that's not what he meant. And I didn't know that. <laughs> so when I get, when I gave it to him and said, Hey, take your time, do your rewrite. He read it and said, no, this is all you. And he offered to, to do an edit pass. Um, and that was that. So that's, that's kind of how the second book was, was formed and, um, a complete misconception on my part. I'm brilliant evidently. And, uh, <laughs> but it's it, again, one of those happy accidents that it, it probably never would have existed if I knew from day one that it was going to be solo so of course one of the other links between kind of the dead zone and gwendy's magic feather is the idea of politics because both gwendy and johnny smith kind of toy with the idea of like uh, killing a political figure that they think Mm -hmm. is like this horrible demagogue i mean it's um why did why did you kind of introduce this idea of Gwendy becoming a congresswoman? Because it, it took me really by surprise. It took a few well, kind of seconds for me to think, oh, that's that's a very interesting twist. I like that. And, and, and for me, someone who, be, uh, you know, until four years ago, um, I was very, very, very hands off on. Yeah, you well, know, what, what you, happened four years ago? You, no, uh, everybody knows what happened four <laughs> years ago. But, yeah, I was very hands off politics. I, uh, you know, family knew it. Friends knew it. It was just not a a thing for me. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it didn't mean I was, was not involved and, and, or, uh, on, in, on our, you know, not interested. It was just a matter of, 
uh, you know, it had always been a difficult subject for me because I always had issues kind of settling on the lesser of two evils kind of thing. True. And, and yeah. so many times that's what we're faced with. But for me, that changed um, with the last presidency and, and I became very interested and very involved. Um, so so uh, so the news was on a lot in our, in our home. And um, I remember the the night before. Um, I had the dream about Gwendy and kind of woke up with her in my head. I had been I had been watching uh, mm. something on uh, on cable news about um, the diversity of the new members of Congress and, and how a lot of them were women and a lot of them were people of color and, and different nationalities. And, and it was it was very interesting to me. And I, I guess it wormed inside my brain. And um, when I woke up the next morning, I just I was like, you know what? Gwendy decided to be. You know, she got talked into, she decided, she kind of followed her heart. And I said, what if she was, and this is the exact email pretty much I sent to Steve. I said, what if Gwendy is a newly elected member of Congress, um, kind of still learning the ropes and and feeling her way in those first few weeks. Mm. And she walks into her office and the button box is sitting on her desk. And that's, that's all I wrote. And that's what sparked, you know, Steve's imagination. He's like, that's a great idea. Um, you know, you got to run with it. You got to write it. So, so yeah, it was, again, you talk about one of those gifts from the heavens. I, you know, here's this guy who's, who's not heavily into politics, who has no interest in reading or writing something that's super heavy on politics. Um, <laughs> it, it has this idea that Gwendy's, you know, so I had to do research on the offices and, and, you know, how much money they made and where they lived and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, I, you know, it's not real politics heavy. It just happens to be what she does. And I also knew that, that I think it's a really box, interesting kind of twist. Yeah, I also so knew I, that that button box would would assume a very different role for a thirty something congresswoman, you know, thirty something year old congresswoman than it did for a teenage girl. Yeah, because the button box is essentially it's like politics by other means, isn't it? It's that idea of you can just get things done very quickly if you want them to, but that yeah. shortcut has a lot of. Um, yeah, it's a moral decision all the time. Well, and that's it. And, and it, I, I guess you know it was an it was an instant way to uh, to to kind of crank up the um, you know the risk factor and and the, uh, it was also you know for me it was it it really emphasized temptation. You know mm, now exactly. it was the, the different rules for this and uh, you know kind of a different playing field and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's still, I look back at one of those because I, I probably, if I write another 20 novels, I doubt I write about a congressperson <laughs> and another one. It's just, it, but it was, you know, I knew that's what she did. And, and fortunately, it, you know, when Steve read it, he's like, you know, you're right. This is it. So it works, I promise you. Um, so it does leave the second book on a bit of a cliffhanger because there is still this ongoing political, um, situation with North Korea that is kind of peripherally talked about during the narrative. I, I have to ask, is this going to be the third Gwendy book? Is this going to be the, the uh, is it a trilogy? Is it an ongoing series? Do um, we get to find out if Richard Hamlin, the president, is uh, vanished? No, we move, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but we move past that. We move considerably, past, you know, past that as, as far as the timeline. Um you know, I, I like I said, I, I won't say too much. Uh, we'll be releasing some details soon as far as the cover and some promo copy and that kind of thing. 
but uh, there's still, you know, somewhat of a political angle. And but this book is completely different. You know, the third book was Steve's idea. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, last summer I, I I started getting some texts one evening from Steve, and it was all about Wendy, and it was all exciting stuff. And I kind of added my two cents to it, and then I said, "Are we going to write it together?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know." we should be able to get started by fall if that's good for you. And instead we, we jumped a little early, started in August and finished by fall. Um, you know, oh, wow. it's, it's, it's a cool. short novel. It's, it's, uh, considerably longer than the first two. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, like I said, it was Steve's idea. And as far as the launch pad of where the story begins and, uh, something completely different for me, I, I think completely different for him. Um, as far as settings. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, th- yeah, the interesting thing with yeah. this one is there's, you know, there's still uh, plenty of Castle Rock, but we also go back to Derry in this book. So oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I think people will be excited with, you know, how much of the extent of the Stephen King universe is included in this book. We, we cover a lot of ground. I can't wait. Uh, can you give us any kind of tentative date when we might be able to get our... Uh... Yeah, it should be about a year from now. Um, we, you know, they didn't want three Stephen King books in the same year, so we have later coming. Well, out. I do. I know. <laughs> yeah. So we have later coming out. Uh, what about a month from now? And then uh, Billy it'll Summers. come out the day after this interview goes out. Absolutely. I know. But Billy Summers will be out so, in, in August, and then uh, I think uh, I think the, the the third Gwendy will be out uh, probably the first week of February. And do you get the impression this will be kind of the last of Gwendy? Is this like a, um, is there more to be uh, written there? It will be unless we, you know, in, unless we pull a, uh, what was the, uh, let me turn around and look. What was the, I know it's up here. Um, the, what was the in-between story he did for the Dark Tower? The wind through the keyhole? Oh, the uh, went through the keyhole. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's always the potential to go back and, and fill in some gaps because we certainly leave some gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, originally the, the idea of, of making Gwendy uh, of calling it a trilogy that was, that came from Steve's publisher, you know, after the, uh, after when they started promoting Gwendy's magic feather, they asked us, they said, well, you know, for marketing purposes, it really helps us if we can label this as a series or a trilogy. And, you know, are you okay with that? And I said, well, I, you know, it's not up to me. I have to ask Steve. So I went to Steve and I just said, you know, they, they would like to call it a trilogy. Are you okay with that? Um, And he came right back and he said, sure. You know, who knows if I'll be involved in a third book or, you know, when it would come about, but you can tell him. Yeah. So that's where the trilogy came from, um, which was neat because it immediately, Mm -hmm meant there was a spot, you know, sitting there for the third book. Um, and I'm sure that played into Steve's decision to, uh, to, to kind of jump in the, in the mix again. Um, so yeah, I, of course. you know, I, I love the idea of kind of filling in a gap or two, you know, after the fact, but we'll have to see what Steve thinks about that. Now, moving away from Gwendy for a sec, can you tell me more about your upcoming book, uh, Chasing the Boogeyman? Because, I read a, a few uh, synopsises, a bit of um, a bit of background on this. It's an absolutely fascinating story. It's not fiction, is it? Well, you know what? It's a combination. That's the interesting thing. And and the original idea was, 
um, you know, to backtrack, I'm a big true crime fan mm -hmm. and uh, I've always thought it would be really, and, and I like doing research and I, I I'm, I'm a notes guy. I like, you know, collating and, and, and I always have. Um, so I always thought, you know, if I, if I was ever, if I was ever faced with, uh, you know, a local true crime that was interesting enough and, and, mm. and had enough loose threads, it would be interesting to write that kind of a book. Um, then somewhere in my brain, I immediately, I, I guess it, it, it planted some seeds in there. And when it came time to start writing my next book, I, I really didn't give it much thought. I just started writing about my hometown, started writing about my experience there during a particular time after I graduated from college. Um, I was engaged to my wife and uh, um, she was uh, going to be going to graduate school for physical therapy uh, that next January. I graduated in the spring. So I moved home to my parents' home where I grew up for uh, for the spring, summer and the beginning of the winter until we got married. And it was just a really interesting time. Um, you know, I was there on, you know, I was definitely right there on the doorstep of, of full adulthood. Yet I was living in my old bedroom in the house I grew up in, and I was about to get married. I was writing my sure. stories. I had just started mm -hmm. Cemetery Dance. And it was a really, just really a ripe time for, for creativity and, and kind of thinking, forward thinking and also backward thinking. Every time I looked out the window, I kind of mm -hmm. saw the ghosts of my childhood there in the side yard where we played marbles and wiffle ball. And, and at that time in my hometown, um, there was an intruder who was breaking into homes uh, in the middle of the night and he was touching women's hair and touching their arms and their legs. And when they woke up, he would take off. And this happened 20, 25 times. And our little town was kind of paralyzed by this. People were buying, you know, extra locks for their windows and their doors and, and spotlights for their yard. And, and there was articles in the paper every week, our little local uh, paper. And they called this guy, the phantom fondler. Um, just when I, I knew I always wanted to write about this period of time of me living back at home. So all the different threads kind of came together and I started writing this book about, uh, you know, using the fondler as kind of the starting point. But, and I had always thought, what if he, what if he did more than touched? Because I, I think everyone expected him to, you know, his actions. Escalate, to escalate. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's that's where the seed of the story came from. It was this very unique time in my life. I was living at home some creepy stuff was going on and here I was starting a horror business. So mm -hmm. everything kind of blended together and there were a lot of lines that were crossed. And, uh, so I started writing this story and I, and I wrote it as if I was the main character and I wrote it in the, in true crime format, talking about the victims extensively and their background and, and, you know, different theories and, it, you know, very much a police procedural. Um, and, and my original idea was to kind of make it a Blair Witch, a literary Blair Witch, where I kind of pulled the wool over people's eyes and made them believe it was real. And one of my favorite thing about true crime books are the photos. So at the end mm -hmm. of each chapter of Chasing the Boogeyman, there's a handful of black and white photos that are real, quote unquote, real. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, you know, I didn't I didn't set out to, to try to do something new or unique like that. It's just honestly how the story needed to be told. And I never, if you would have, I would have bet my house and, and, and my cars, if someone had said, you're going to, you're one day, you're going to write a novel and, and set yourself as the main character. I would have been like, that's not happening. You know, I am a, I am very much a behind the scenes guy, but that's what happened. So, um, 
yeah was it quite cathartic kind of writing about your past did you it was you know what it was it almost felt self-indulgent some days because you know (laughs) i lost my mom back in 2001 um my dad passed away in 2007 so for the several months that i was writing this book my parents were alive and uh that was wonderful Mm. and i write about a lot of my childhood experiences so uh, i was back there with my friends um so yeah, some days I, I, you know, got it from the computer and I was like, wow, this is, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get paid for this or, you know, if it'll ever get published, but man, this is, you know, I don't know that I should because this is just too much fun. Um, and it really was kind of just being able to mix that sense of nostalgia with, you know, with the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's how I grew up. I, I grew up telling those stories to my friends and scaring them all the time when we were younger. So it, it really was like coming full circle. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating, and it is available for pre-order. I think uh, Amazon and Cemetery Dance, and yeah, I'm not seeing well, this time. Right? Just all the booksellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those places, and then uh, I've got a local bookstore that I've been that I've been promoting. Um, really good people, and I like to see the independents do well. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely. not out till August now more than ever. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's it's due out two weeks after uh, Billy Summers from Steve. Um, they're both mm-hmm. August books, so it'll, it'll be a fun time for us. And, um, yeah, hopefully people like it. I, you know, it's definitely different. All the blurbs that have come in talk about the fact that it's kind of something new. And, and, um, again, I wish I could take credit for being smart enough to, to say, yeah, I did this on purpose, but I can't, it's just the way it came out. Well, it sounds absolutely fascinating. Now, uh, before we let you go, a few questions we ask all of our guests. Uh, firstly, what are you reading at the moment? Um, I just finished a book called Whisper Down the Lane by a Clay Chapman. Uh, his title. last book before before that was called The Remaking. Um, but uh, Whisper Down the Lane is not going to it's not out until I think April from Quirk Books. It's a great book. Scary, um, heartbreaking at times and just a lot of fun um, that that I just finished reading. Um, I've got I, before that I read the new Michael uh, Carita book. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, which was wonderful. So yeah, I've got, you know, I'm going to read Billy Summers soon. Steve gave me a sneak peek, so that'll probably be up within the next book or two. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've had, I'm on a good run. And you've, uh, you, you, you've got your hands on a copy of later as well. If your Instagram is anything to go by, have you read that one yet? Yeah, I read that one a few months ago. Um, again, I was, I was fortunate that he kind of, you know, he he usually, you know, at some point in our correspondence that, you know, Hey, you want to read this new one? And I'm, you know, yes, sir. Send it over. And yeah. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed later. And I think, I think folks are going to enjoy it. It's a short read and it's, but it's, uh, it's got a lot of heart to it and, and a lot of intrigue. Looks fascinating. Love and the a cover. pretty shocking ending, I think. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, and another question we always ask everybody, what to you is a novel that you think more people should have read? What's kind of an underrated book from any period that kind of you think, uh, might have slipped under people's radars? Um, hmm. That's a good question. Usually I just get asked, you know, the, what's your favorites? And that's an easy one. But, you know, as far as kind of under, you know, it's not genre, but Wonder Boys, you know, which became- Michael Chabon. Yeah, which became a, one of my favorite movies. That's that's a book love that, that I always tell yeah. people they need to read. I really love that. And then, um, yeah, that's that's the one that comes to mind. I'm trying to, think, no, I'm trying to think of a genre one, but I can't really think of one right now. <laughs> and finally, before we let you go, um, I have to ask this, I mean, because 
I've spoken to a few people during uh, doing this podcast who have worked with King or knew him, but you're probably the person who's closest to him that I've spoken to. I can I can edit any of this out as well if you sure, need sure, to. Sure. But what is what is Stephen King like? Um, you know, I usually give I usually give a, a very similar answer, and I and then I always stop and think, well, is there anything else I can say? You know, and, and it, <laughs> it, it it it. But it's you know my usual answer is the most truthful one. I mean, he he's a great guy. Um, he is hellaciously funny, smart, um, well-read. I mean, the guy reads everything and, uh, you know, we talk about books and, you know, 90% of the stuff that, that he digs and, and recommends, I really like. And then there's like that 10% where I'm like, Steve, that's over my head, buddy. You know? Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. He's just a very down to earth, normal guy. You know, he's blue jeans and a t-shirt. Um, you, it's it's very easy to forget at times that he is the world's you know best-selling author, and and it took me a lot of years to kind of get past the uh, that that sense of. Do you remember? The, I don't know if you ever watched Saturday Night Live in the past, but the Chris Farley, sure. you know, the, the episode where he was with Paul McCartney, and he's just kind of sitting there stammering. Remember when you were with the Beatles? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, you know, cool. it, it took me a few years to get past that. You know, to get, you know, you look at him across a, a lunch table, and you're thinking, "Hey, remember when you wrote Carrie?" <laughs> um, but he is just very much a normal guy, um, very kind, very generous. Like I said, smart, funny. And, um, you know, the, it's funny because the people say, you know, you talk to him a lot, you just talk work a lot, you talk shop a lot. And it's not, I mean, and that kind of, that kind of puts it in a nutshell for you. You know, the things that he and I bonded over were family, mm-hmm. our dogs, baseball, um, books and movies. We very rarely talk business. Um, and, um, you know, we very rarely talk the book business as a whole. It's just, you know, sure. we're always talking about what we're reading and what's coming up that we're excited about and that kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, those are the things we bonded over. So probably the same things you would with him and, and, and most people would, um, no, that's, that's the answer uh, I wanted to hear. Thank you. Yeah. No, great guy. Great guy. <laughs> and, and like I said, he, uh, under uh, immense amounts of pressure from people wanting and expecting and hoping for things from him. I'm not sure how he handles that as gracefully as he does, mm. but, um, yeah, just, uh, a really good friend and I'm, I'm blessed to, uh, you know, call him a friend even more so than to say I've worked with him. That's, that's always the thing. And my wife and my family, they always get that when something good happens with Steve, it always means the first thing it, it, it it always means so much personally, even if it's something that's going to enrich our lives, you know, from a business standpoint or something, it always means so much more on a personal standpoint. Of course. Now, is there anything else you want to make us aware of anything else you want to publicize before you go? No, not really. You got you did a great job covering everything. I mean, we. No uh, oh, bless I've you. Been, Thank you. You know, I've, chasing the boogeyman is different for me because it's coming from a big publisher. So for the first time in a long time, I feel like I'm working for someone else. Mm-hmm. So for the next six months, I'll be promoting that book and 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 you know doing my best to to show Simon and Schuster that they uh, that they were right to give me a contract. And uh, then six months after that is is Gwendy's final task, and that's just I'm really mm-hmm. excited for you know Steve and I to get the cover out, the promo copy, and to be able to start talking about that publicly. Good stuff. So uh, before you go, I will let you go this time. You've got the button box. How long do you think it takes you before you press the button and do something? Mm-hmm. 
I, I would not be a good person <laughs> to have the button box. I I, uh, I would have to put it in a safe inside. It's not a good another. year for the button box, I think. No, <laughs> previous I mean, year, I, I would have to put it in a safe. <laughs> I'd put it in a lockbox, put it inside a safe, put it that safe inside a bigger safe. <laughs> you know, maybe do that five or six times and then lose the combinations because, uh, yeah, I'd be too tempted in, in, in today's climate to, oh, yeah. to not push that, <laughs> push that sucker. Well, there are good times just around the corner, I hope, Mr. Chismar. And thank you so much for talking to us today. And uh, yeah, uh, good luck with chasing the bogeyman and everything else. And hopefully we'll speak to you again another time. The Constant Reader podcast was hosted by me, Richard Shepard, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepard and technical wizardry by Stephen Leslie Parks. Thank you very much for listening.